I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shiro was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. everybody welcome to another lovely week of she-ra progressive of power as always i am eric and i'm lauren yeah so lauren it's been two weeks since we've recorded it's only been one week since you've heard us as the bare naked ladies once said it's it's been one week uh (laughs) and something happened to lauren in the last two weeks that's worth mentioning i think um even maybe relevant to the show a little bit yeah so we took two weeks uh we took a two-week span partially because my last week just started feeling super crazy. Had a lot going on in my personal life and my job life. And one of the things was uh, that my boss at my day job decided to resign. And I feel fully qualified for her job, but everyone at my workplace at the director level has a master's degree and everyone at the VP level has a PhD. So it really doesn't matter... How qualified I feel I am. Uh, I'm 31 years old and now at two workplaces have hit the ceiling of how high I can go in the job tree before needing a master's. So guess what, you guys? It's time. I decided uh, on December 29th I will be taking the GRE. Uh, I've set aside one to two study dates a week on my calendar And my goal is to do an evening and weekend MBA, hopefully somewhere like the University of Chicago, while still holding down my day job. (laughs) So that's pretty incredible. Also, I like that you chose the GRE date. That is just kind of right in between two holidays where you don't want to work at all. Right. Well, no pressure. It's no pressure. It's the best I could do. I do work at a school and uh, I get... Christmas break off. Uh, I did have to break it to my family in Tennessee that I will not be visiting them for Christmas this year because I need to study. Uh, and so we're trying to negotiate Thanksgiving now instead so I can dedicate my Christmas time off to my education. Sounds like a Skype Christmas to me. Uh, <laughs> why is that relevant to this show, you may ask? Well, because Lauren is going to be getting her Master's of the Universe. Eric Boo! Eric Boo! Show canceled. All right. So uh, (laughs) today we're talking about an episode called The Rock People. So this is pretty clearly a a toy tie-in episode i think you might have deduced from the i did i wrote transformers really big on my piece of paper yeah so it opens with three rocks flying through outer space and hordak sees the rocks and he's like oh it's weird that those rocks can navigate they must (laughs) be powerful the rocks land on etheria and hordak sends all the horde people to capture them to understand their power but Shira and Madame Razenbo also go because they get a hot tip that there's 
super powerful rocks. Um, but as you might have guessed by the title of the episode, oh, the rocks are actually people. Um, they turn into these kind of robotic rock-like uh, humanoids called the rock people, Stonedar, Rockon, and Granada. And they are pacifists, uh, but they are super-duper powerful. And the Horde manages to capture one of them, takes the... Uh, what rock on right the horde yes. captures rock on takes rock on to the fright zone uh, and they're going to do like experiments on him because hordak wants to know how they can fly in space without a spaceship and he's just kind of like i don't know we just do it's it's what we do and hordak thinks he's lying the rebels try to get the rock people to fight against the horde with them stonedar explains that they are pacifists and they do not fight uh, still, Stonedar and Granada go to the Fright Zone. They end up having to kind of peacefully resist Hordak when he won't listen to reason. Uh, in the end, Stonedar breaks his vow of pacifism to uh, turn into a rock and bash Hordak, who's about to hurt Shira. And uh, then in kind of an interesting callback to our own show, where do the rock people end up settling because their planet's about to explode? Oh, weird. With the trolls. That couldn't be <laughs> intentional at all. So that's the Rock People, and we have a special guest here today to talk about the Rock People. Lauren, do you want to take away the introduction? Uh, this guest is someone who I met longer ago than I'd like to admit at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christina Bailey is my former employee. Uh, she is now kicking all of the butt where I used to work. Uh, Christina, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Christina. I... Like long walks on the beach? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, I actually do. However, <laughs> this uh, is a Shira dating podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in my spare time, like to do sword fighting with the Chicago Sword Play Guild. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I can carry a six foot man on on my shoulders. <laughs> Are you intimidated yet? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that's my height. It's really impressive. Uh, we brought Christina in today. I actually. Uh, put a call out on Facebook because we have some episodes coming up that uh, Eric and I are, tr I just wouldn't feel respectful talking about things like assimilation and, and things like race on our two white people podcast. And so I also didn't feel good about just going to my friends and being like, hey, you're a person of color. Come on my show. It's not right. It's very, it's sensitive. And so I reached out on Facebook to say, this is the, the our show. If you haven't listened to She-Ra yet. And then we are discussing these issues. I would love for someone with a personal story related to assimilation or related to race to come on our show. And one thing I actually didn't know about Christina was uh, that she is, in fact, half Mexican. And that really influenced uh, the way she grew up. And I actually felt a little ashamed because she referred to herself as quote, passing as white. And it is because that is who she is that I never knew this about her. And so we're hoping she can share a little bit of her story with us today and also how it affected the way she watched this show. Growing up um, was, I mean, for the most part, I didn't really notice anything very different. Um, I spent a lot of time with my mother's side of the family. Every Saturday, literally the entire family would get together at my aunt's house and just go have fun and make food and really enjoy ourselves. Uh, I can remember being five, and that was, well, I was probably a little older than five, and Selena Quintanilla was shot, and everybody was calling my house constantly. She was my absolute idol growing up. I was this tiny, 
slightly blondish young girl and I wanted to be Selena. So, uh, but for the most part, I didn't really feel out of place. I was told a little bit later some stories from my mother that people would assume she was my nanny because she was so much darker than I was. Both of my brothers uh, have very dark hair. One of my brothers has very dark skin. And as I grew up, I would notice certain things like he would get pulled over if he was driving a nice car. And he had saved up to buy that car. He worked at a dealership. It was completely legit. And he would get pulled over in suburbia for supposedly not being the type of person who should be driving that car. So as I grew up, I also noticed that being probably a lot paler than most of my family, I have certain advantages. People don't assume that I'm Mexican. So if I go outside with a sugar skull t-shirt on, people kind of give me the side eye, not knowing that actually, no, this is my culture. This is what I identify as what I grew up with mostly. And I'm also sometimes uh, asked to take part in racism with other people they'll you know kind of give me that wink wink nudge nudge let me make a comment I'm assuming you'll agree with me and I've had to deal with that more and more as time has gone on especially given our current political climate so regarding assimilation I feel like this episode and we could talk about this and we should give some very mixed messages because on one hand you have Shira saying things like uh courage is sometimes the courage not to fight and they they make the distinction between aggressive fighting and self-defense pretty strongly um however i also get the message from this that all of the rebellion including shira thinks that fighting and thinks that violence is sort of the right way to be she tells the rock people I respect you. I respect your point of view, but you're wrong. And I I get where she's coming from because she has years of experience with the horde being sort of the iron fist that's violently oppressing people. But at the same time, how much respect for a point of view do you really have if you're just immediately stomping on it? And as you already pointed out, the rock people do break their pacifism by the end of this episode. So, so what do we think about just sort of the strength of the of the of the ethics here? I think that the rock people's eventual ascent into violence was probably not a moral message, but rather like the writer commenting on how these things tend to go in reality. Where like the longer they're in Etheria, the more they're going to have to join this fight, whether they want to or not you get the sense that their world there's like zero violence so as i mean when they land and then the first thing they see is a fight they're like no not happening (laughs) and i thought that was interesting this is a very action-packed episode even by shira standards like you get basically all of the horde force captains fighting like the top rebels which hasn't really happened since the pilot it's like it contrasts their pacifism with like a lot of battle scenes well and also there's a dinosaur battle scene too just thrown in Even if you go the route of, well, I'm just going to defend myself, how much are they going to keep attacking? At what point is enough enough? And I don't think that the Horde has any sort of end goal in mind except them winning. And that's a great point. The Horde is the party in power. They have the numbers. They have the tech that at some point self-defense might not be enough, Um when they're just building literally bigger tanks and rockets 
And so maybe pacifism just is the wrong choice in this world. What I do want to bring up, though, is some the, the thing that made me two things made me uncomfortable about this episode. One is Bo. We'll get there later. Uh, but the other was that Shira insisted on helping the rock people and following them when they told her not to. They specifically said, let us handle this our own way. We've got it covered. And I really think they might have. And she gave this kind of like well, I'm familiar with my world. I know best for them. I'm going in anyway. And that sits with me the wrong way. <laughs> um, I know she's the star of the cartoon, so she kind of has to be in those situations. But uh, I, I, something sits with me wrongly about like, oh gosh, these oppressed peoples, we sure have to help them. They're, they're too stupid to know whether or not they can handle this situation. That's interesting because even kind of Shira's presence is what makes Stonedar betray his vow of pacifism. Although I guess also they might have melted into piles of goo if Shira hadn't been there. So yeah, it's you know, true. Coin flip. <laughs> I think that the melting definitely posed a <laughs> a real problem. A real problem with their ability. And wasn't but... that kind of horrifying, by the way? Yeah, their yeah. bodies were disintegrating. Yeah, into liquid. Not even just dust, but liquid. <laughs> yeah. Um. But clearly they're strong enough that should they all have been restrained, they could have broken out of it. It only took two of them to break off each half of that metal restraint. I also think like the rock people's method of because I think you could argue earlier in that scene when the troopers are sicked on them, they're not really being violent. They kind of have like this peaceful kind of means of resistance where they just stick out their arm and like they're just so powerful that that's enough, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and that makes me think, like, in a way they could have handled it until the melty thing. Yeah, that's but fair. You know what? Once again, that's just Shadow Weaver going, like, above and beyond. Like, she is the really the boss, the HBIC of the Horde. Yeah, Shadow Weaver rules. And <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to point her out, too, because it always seems like Hordak is so into science. His, and even his mission in this episode is science-based, that's space travel. But... Every time he gets super desperate and every time he's really losing, he's like, fine, magic, do the magic that I hate. I don't care. And it always works. Oh, and that's what I wanted to say is is kind of the reason why Hordak wants these rock people. It's a little bit laughable. Like he wants to know how you can fly in space. But I think it also speaks to like the kind of dictatorial power that he has where like any any little thing is enough for him to like threaten a whole race of people because he just wants if there's something he doesn't understand he must possess it and for himself yeah and sort of to christina's point about this being a permanent battle it does sort of reek of intergalactic conquest like he's not going to even stop with this planet if he had the ability 
he would just take it to the stars. Oh my god, I just realized you haven't seen any of the episodes with Horde Prime. So the Horde are actually, they are like a uh, a galaxy-wide conquering force. Oh, And Hordak great. is kind of like the planetary general. Even though everyone says he rules the Horde, like Horde Prime rules the Horde. So there definitely is an implication that like... Kordak would take other worlds if he could and be like the best general. And if you had that rock technology, it would be a lot easier. (laughs) You don't even need a spaceship. What if he could? I mean, he could make his troopers ball up into rocks and fly through space, I guess. Yeah, robots don't need to breathe. Although I've been really, I have a lot of questions about the robots in this universe. They're like banter and thought processes (laughs) they kind of talk like people a lot of the time yeah i what's stopping them from flying through space now propulsion i guess maybe that's what he wants from the rock people but he doesn't get it Speaking of people who don't get it, what's wrong with Bo? Oh, Bo is being a real, real creepo in this episode. And it's out of character. I think Bo is normally a really lovely stand-up guy. And right from the beginning, from I thought She-Ra and I would be alone together, to even his declaration of, oh, my aching Bo string. <laughs> what a weirdo. What a creep in this episode. This- it's pretty cut and dry at this point that She-Ra has a a romantic relationship with uh, Seahawk, but I guess it's technically Adora who has a romantic relationship with Seahawk. So as far as Bo's concerned, She-Ra is still available because that's a different person. But She-Ra has shown no interest in any romance. and he hasn't shown any interest in anyone either. I found this really out of left field, and it seemed like really lazy writing. Oh, I'm a male character, and I gotta salivate over the thought of me being with the female character what yeah i I think kind of the whole first act of this episode is a little like disposable it really kicks in once the rocks transform yeah even when um shira takes the moment to talk to the dinosaur when she's done saving everybody bo says i wish you wouldn't do things like that What? Bo. It's like, I think she can handle herself. Yeah. <laughs> also, she ca- she literally kept him from being eaten by a dinosaur. Well, I wish you wouldn't have done it that way, mansplain, mansplain. Get out of here. Can we point out also, he is like the most useless member of this party. Like, She-Ra has- is strong and Madame Raz saves the rock people from melting. What does Bo do this whole episode? <laughs> he shoots a glowing arrow. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. As if, as if he's the only one on the team who could have managed to get a flash grenade into that space. So yeah, like I said in the recap, there is it is not an accident that the trolls are where the rock people go, right? Like, yes. What? So to fill Christina in, our troll episode was about othering. 
because the troll people, not troll people, just trolls, the trolls are uh, initially seen as this terrifying race who they're violent, they're dumb, we want nothing to do with them. And She-Ra and the king of the trolls sort of come to an understanding. And supposedly, you know, it's going to be happily ever after. But I think both of us raised the question like, really? Because even though your leaders got together and said, we're cool now, we're cool, that doesn't change stereotypes and oppressive practices that both sides of this argument were imposing on one another. So here they are again being shoved aside into like essentially a reservation let's just call it what it is well it, that's true although that's the trolls homeland like i think it might even be their um indigenous land but yeah like for sure so they're like i was about to use the word ghettoized like the trolls trolls are kind of ghettoized by the rebellion and then by no accident and it's the same writer who wrote all three of these episodes they find a home for the rock people in this kind of ghetto where the trolls live and all of a sudden, both of these other classes are just lumped together. Here you go. You'll be fine with these other people that we're kind of suspicious of. Uh, is that a happy ending for the trolls or a sad ending for like humanity? Did anyone ask the trolls? I, I mean, I assume it was consensual. Ago seemed cool with it. Although whoever did Ago's voice forgot how to do it. That did not <laughs> sound like Ago. So what do we think um, life is like then after this? for i think specifically the trolls and the rock people i don't want to be too negative but i feel like we're almost empowering further empowering the human characters to other and exclude these other populations by shoving them all into like one literal area see my impression was that we were supposed to read it as like no one will bother either of your people here but that yeah, that's not necessarily a good thing. Like it, instead of engaging with different two different cultures, they're like, "Meh, you just go in the Rock Valley. It's fine." And then we'll fight our war out here, and then we'll worry about you when the war's over. Yeah, and the Rock people did say out loud, "Oh, it's so lovely here. The rocks are so beautiful. This is our kind of environment." And I thought that was very uh, convenient for the viewer to go, "Oh no, see, they like it here. They like it. It's great. They like it here in their housing project." Of course they do, <laughs> because we've given it to them. Yeah, I mean, I d yes, I do think, again, I think Ago probably opened his doors willingly, but it's still, like, not a great ending. I almost feel like it's a happy ending for the trolls, that they get buddies. Like, okay, well, now you can be friends with this other At least you get people. to be with somebody, because we sure weren't hanging out over here. But it doesn't speak great for the rebellion, right? And even, I think you could see it as, like, the rock people rejected, like, settling with the rebellion because they're so violent. And so their prize is they get this rock ghetto. And maybe frustrating we don't ever see the trolls again we see the rock people again in one episode as like in a throwaway like it's not even like clearly the writer just needed somebody so it's the rock people but it, we never touch on these themes again so this is essentially like to me the trolls have a three-part arc and this is the end of their arc and the rock people's arc ends there too and yeah i don't know exactly what that means we'll just shove them away in a corner and forget about them it's kind of the feeling I got from that. Um, they'll be able to go have, you know, you can go interact with the trolls. Um, it doesn't matter if we've had disagreements with them before. You know, you, you go over there and we'll just continue on our merry way. 
yeah, it, it's they really just took this problem and kicked the can down the road. And that's almost emphasized by the weak ass ending this episode has going back to Bo, where he poses some question to Shira, like, I don't understand why the rock people won't just help us. And then Shira says something like, I mean, the freedom that they want, it, it's kind of what we're all fighting for. And then Bo's just like, in a really flat line reading, I guess it is. And then that's the <laughs> end of the episode. Putting them all in a valley to kind of bring it a little bit with our current climate uh, feels like building a wall. You know, yeah. you can go be over there uh, because you're not like us. The othering really is what stuck out for me throughout the whole thing. Um, if you're not willing to fight the same fight we are and we're saying it's for your own good, but you don't care well then you can just go over there and we'll you know we'll continue on our way we're not going to take your input and potentially the valuable feedback you have to think the rock people are a peaceful people clearly they got there somehow why can't we learn from that and try to emulate that peace and you know welcoming of all other people clearly they take the humans in stride very well or well humans i use that loosely um the the non like horde freaks of nature yes yeah. the, the humanoid characters if the rock people arrived and were way more on board with this fight and this cause and this way of life do you think they would have ended up in the same place i don't think they would i think they would have been welcomed with slightly more open arms if they had been willing to fight um it just really seems to me to be very dismissive like, oh, you're not willing to fight? Okay, well, we'll see you later. We're going to go do the thing. And I think if they had come in and said, okay, we're willing to fight. We're going to help you out in, and go against our very nature in order to help our adopted homeland, they would have – it comes back to that assimilation. They chose not to assimilate. And as a result, they're accepted in sort of a way, but not quite – in the way that anyone immigrating somewhere would hope. They want to be accepted for who they are, you know, and join that culture and be harmonious. That's what seems to be the rock. The rock people want to be harmonious with everyone else. And instead, they just get shoved aside because they're not willing to go against their very nature. So to take that one more time, I guess, back to your personal story, what are some of the things you think your mother and then you were asked to change I would say for my mother, she she changed a lot. Um, she's held up as being one of the, and I hate to use this term, but the quote, good Mexicans. 
she speaks English perfectly. She's even done radio commercials. Um, she's constantly complimented for having a good phone voice. She married someone who was white, lives, you know, your average middle class life, works in a dentist office. And I notice a change in her when she gets around her family or is on the phone with her family. Her voice changes, the way she te- she speaks, the cadences of her very speech. And while I think she's very happy, I can see that she's clearly had to change some things about herself in order to assimilate into this life that she's living. And I kind of have the flip side of it where my Spanish isn't very good. I understand it very well, but I don't speak it very well. And I get a lot of flack from people who will say, well, why don't you know? And they kind of try to force me into more of the the white box of it because I may not be as deeply entrenched as someone who may have grown up with two Hispanic parents. Yeah, so I, I found that very difficult. It's like people are asking me to ignore that side of me, to say that it's not as legitimate as somebody else just because I may not have retained as much of the the obvious signifiers. Right. I I feel like that must be true, especially in today's current political climate, that we really try as a nation to pride ourselves on being a melting pot where all are welcome from all walks of life. But there's like one specific type of American or like one American way to be that clearly gets more of the privileges and if you're not going to be that type of American then you're it's you're kind of up for criticism and that's super unfair. I'm really lucky that in a lot of ways I can take part in that privilege and I I'm able to benefit from that and I do recognize that fact but sometimes I do feel that it in other people's eyes erases that other part of me which to me is so important. It's what I knew growing up and that is what I see myself as, and I know there are a lot of other people out there who kind of straddle the line between two cultures where they feel like they identify a little bit more with one and they're asked to give up that part of themselves in order to fit in and to be seen as acceptable. I'm either too American or not Mexican enough. So yeah, one thing I want to talk about in this episode, which is not really related to the assimilation topic, but I think we'll get there. I think this is the time to talk about the toys, because clearly The Rock People is a toy-driven episode. Uh, and we haven't, in seven or eight, eight, nine episodes, we haven't talked about the toys yet and how they're marketed, which is so fascinating, because as progressive, or at least as earnestly as this show tries to be progressive, the toys are a total failure. Um, they were very clearly delineated into boy toys, which was Masters of the Universe, and girl toys, which was Princess of Power. Almost all the villains come from the Masters of the Universe line, and they're all dudes with buff bodies, and then almost all the Princess of Power are like the heroine girls with the one token male, bow. And they're all packaged with, like, combs so you can comb their hair. They all have brushable hair. Yeah. They come with mini comics that, like, in theory are kind of, like, action-oriented, but they're really just kind of, like, fairy tale. Like, oh, She-Ra lives in the castle in the clouds, and, you know, everything is wonderful on a theory except for that wicked Catra, because Catra is the only, 
horde villain that that line had. Um, so the rock people are masters of the universe toys. And clearly this episode was written because Mattel was like, hey, 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 we got these two sweet toys coming down the line. They're like Transformers, but instead of cars, they're rocks. Uh, work this into your show. <laughs> and I think all things considered, Larry Dottilio did a pretty good job with that. Yeah, I didn't know that backstory, but artistically, I even the even just the art style of the rock people, I felt was a little bit more stereotypically masculine in terms of 80s cartoons. It had that Transformers sort of vibe. I, I was actually wondering if they were toys because I just wonder I just pictured like a kid collapsing their toy into a round rock and just throwing it at their little sister. That's what I would do. Well, appropriately, Rockon and Stonedar were toys, but Granita was not. Granita was added for this episode. Frown. Yeah, right? How disappointing. But yeah, this is really a show where like you understand, oh, you know, at least the financial reason this show exists is to sell toys. Right. Uh, that said, I think, I don't know, they did a pretty, like, I would not look at rock people and say, okay, we're going to do a story about essentially immigration and being conscripted into a war you don't want to fight. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear that this episode was tacked on because it is a sort of progressive social justice issue that I would expect she to confront at some point and hearing the motivation behind it is is fascinating i feel like they would have done this anyway maybe just not with rock people yeah it could have been that they were like all right we need some kind of immigrant stand in what do we have uh people that turn into rocks all right <laughs> that sounds good but yeah that's a really good point like as an actual toy probably very lame <laughs> <laughs> What do you do with these? I'm sure that in the commercial, they're like hiding amongst like the reeds of Castle Grayskull. And then like Hordak walks by and they pop out. Bam, I got you, Hordak. If you can find that commercial on YouTube, we must share it. Yeah, we'll have to link it. Comets from the sky bring allies in disguise. They've landed. Bring on the evil horde. Stonedar, Rockon, He-Man, and Grizzmor figures each sold separately. Stonedar, Rockon. Rocks you transform to surprise. Hey, Grizzlor! Who's that? Rock on! Stonedar! My friends have landed to help crush the evil horde! Stonedar and Rock on, new from the masters of the universe. Action figures each sold separately from Mattel. Let's talk the moral. So, weirdly, I can't believe this. Lucky isn't that interested in, in assimilation. He is more on the pacifism side. Uh, today I'd like to talk to you about fighting, Lucky says. You know, some people think fighting is a way to prove how brave they are. Fighting doesn't prove anything, and it usually doesn't solve anything either. It takes more courage to walk away from a fight. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Is that the point of the episode, though? It's not. Uh, Eric and I talk about this a lot, Christina, that the moral of the story sometimes isn't connected to the episode at all or sometimes it is but seems to sort of fly in the face of what the episode is trying to say and I don't know I feel like Loki is siding with who Shira and Bo and company would like to think they believe but really don't like that's not the people they really I are mean, and Shira literally does say as you pointed out that sometimes the bravest thing to do is not to fight and yet the turning point of the episode is that Stonedar is made to fight. And, you know, wh whether or not that's an ethical choice or a realistic one, yeah, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't prove that sometimes not fighting is the right answer. Right. I'm definitely going to be watching more carefully in future episodes. 
because uh, this is really the first time I've seen this, but does Shira always practice what she preaches? Because I feel like this this episode maybe she kind of didn't, and you know we're we're all imperfect. None of us are exactly the person we'd like to be, but uh, Loki really seems to tell you to side with the Rock people and their way of life. But yeah, Shira. I mean, she is a flawed character, and sometimes she realizes it and. Maybe in this episode, she's a little, uh, her self-knowledge is a little lacking, but, you know, that's all right. They did stop the rock people from getting melted, so that's probably okay. Right, I mean, I'm glad they didn't die. So what is, like, the realistic version of this moral? I think it was a little bit more of a warning about the slippery slope of giving up your morals and ideals. We first see the rock people just merely holding out their hands and defending themselves, and it quickly devolves into them actively attacking and I think that's a really good reflection on if you give a little bit and then a little bit and a little bit at what point do you become exactly the opposite of what you were trying to do damn (laughs) I would have made the moral that if you want to fly you cannot fly in space without a spaceship no matter how round your body may be oh I took that too serious but uh (laughs) I think maybe Christina's is better. Maybe. <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Eric, you're really literal. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveapower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveapower.wordpress.com. Many organizations are using the law to keep our nation a welcoming place. The American Immigration Lawyers Association empowers attorneys to fight for immigrants. Their website has a fantastic newsreel to keep you up to date on changing legislation. The Community Activism Law Alliance offers resources for Chicago immigrants in need. Their local workshops include family emergency preparedness, knowing your rights, and a telephone helpline. If you know someone in need of immigration assistance, visit AILA.org and CALAChicago.org. For-